What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, College Football and NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Joined, as always, on a Wednesday, my co-host, Connor Rogers. Connor, I'm in Indy already. I'm waiting for you. Uh, we had, I want to start with this, dude. I got here today and I got I had a DM from one of the, our loyal listeners, an awesome sticky. And he said, hey, there's something for you at the front desk. I'm immediately thinking like a bomb. It's not going to be good. Oh, Jesus, it's man. actually Orlando Brown trying to kill me. But I opened this tote from Home Depot and there are three cases of beer, a, a case of water, like a bunch of pins and paper, like y'all hooked us up. So thank you for that. That set the tone for what I, I think is going to be a pretty good show. We have Justice Hill coming on. Mello and I got a chance to talk to him uh, a couple nights ago. We're going to fix the Miami Dolphins and we're going to take a bunch of draft on draft questions. But man, it's combine week. I'm excited. And that means we have a lot of news that we're going to get into once the show gets going here. I absolutely love it, man. Can't wait to join you uh, Friday, starting Friday and then throughout the weekend. It's nice that somebody took care of you. Not only did they give you the beer, but they got you the water to stay hydrated. And of course, the notes, because there's a lot going on. And before we get to any of that, just one more reminder for everyone. Saturday is the big day, March 2nd, 5 p.m. local time, Eastern time at Two Deep Brewing. We were there last year, but if you were there last year, it's going to be way bigger this year. I think we have we should have upwards of over 100 people there this year. So going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I can't wait. I know Matt is really excited. Mel is really excited. Big Country is going to be there running the door. So make sure you get those tickets on night out. Matt, did I miss anything? Well, you uh, completely under-exaggerated our number, which I appreciate you doing. We have 171 people signed up, dude. Oh, it goes to show you how often I've checked that. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to yeah. 200, then bring your friends, bring your family. Uh, I would say bring your kids, but this is a 21-plus establishment, so right. don't do that. That's okay. Let's just start this thing off with the biggest story of the draft since going back to July, I feel like, and that would be Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is healthy. He is ready to do drills. Matt, do you expect him to do everything in Indy from what you're hearing? Yeah, what I'm hearing, and I'm I'm so glad that this news came out because it was something we talked about on our Combine Prop Bet show of, uh, and uh, some some of our some people on Twitter got on me. They're like, "How can you not know if he's working out?" It's like because no one has credibly told me he is. Like you guys can assume he is, and you can think he is, but unless he comes out and says it or his agent says it, I'm not going to buy it this time of year. But they come out say he's ready to go. He's expected to do everything, and I'm excited, man. I, I do think this is going to be the moment where we remember just how great of a prospect he is. Like that, that's when it's the, oh, we have this moment of, okay, he had a down year, but athletically he's gifted. There is production to match. This isn't Rashawn Gary where we're just selling you traits. We can sell you production. We can sell you traits. And Nick Bosa has it all. He's a clean prospect other than the injury history. And and I think he's going to dominate once we see him get out here, man. it's I'm excited. The weigh-ins start the Wednesday, as you guys are listening to this, the players' offensive linemen are coming in, getting ready. So I think Nick Bosa, when we leave town, I think he might be the story of the thing. Yeah, I'm with you all the way on Nick Bosa. When I look at him and watch him play, to me, he is Justin Houston. You know, Justin Houston out of Georgia, just completely refined with no, I guess there were some like character questions. Yeah, that's the comp I've been rocking with. This guy, and I, like I mean that. it. I, I don't just throw those things around with comps because – it can be dangerous. I think Nick Bosa is that good. I went back and read my scouting report and just it's hard to find anything really wrong with the player besides the fact that he's had two 
season-ending kind of injuries. In high school, he tore his ACL, and he had the core muscle, which was, we can assume, a hernia surgery this year. But he's recovered from both of those, it seems like, and gone back and you know puts an A-plus effort on film and, and traits A-plus. Athleticism is easily an A. Character is an A. This guy breathes football. Mind you, he's from a family where his brother, his dad, and his uncle were all first-round picks. This is something close to the perfect pass rush prospect, and I can't wait to see him at the combine because in a weird way, I'm tired of not talking about Nick Bosa, the football player. Like He's been cemented as this number one pick where we almost talk about everyone else, but the combine is one more show for him to truly steal. And man, I think like I, I want to circle back to something you said there about him being injury prone. And I, I think I've said it too. And sometimes we're, we're short on time. So you just say a guy is injury prone. But with Nick Bosa, he could have come back this year. I, I think it was a decision that he and his family made that he had proven himself. He was the projected number one pick in the draft. So there wasn't that urgency to get back on the field for Ohio State, especially once you knew that they weren't going to be a a new year's bowl game contender, you know, one of the top four teams. So I think that an ACL is a fluke. I don't even worry about ACLs anymore unless you have a couple of them, but the core injury, I don't think that it obviously was season ending, but it's different to me than like a guy breaking his neck or, you know, a a Liz Frank injury. It's an injury that is fairly clean to fix. And I do believe he could have come back this year had he wanted to. So I just wanted to add those notes in. You're right, man. The bloodlines are unreal. And I think it was his grandfather was in the mob, which makes it cooler. It's amazing. Too. Like, like, oh, yeah, your family and football and the mob, you know, and I, it, yeah, it's nice. That's pretty good lineage right there. And I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> right. I am not Nick Bosa. I am nothing close to Nick Bosa, but I've had that surgery and I was back lifting and running in four, five weeks and then full strength in eight. And I think he made the right choice in not rushing back because being on the football field and being in football shape is totally different where he didn't have to necessarily just get back on and risk. It's something you could easily re-injure. This guy has been working his ass off to be not a hundred percent, but 110% for the NFL combine. And that's what we're going to see. Speaking of a guy that was a hundred. Yeah. Speaking of a guy that was awesome at the combine, but has not been very awesome in the NFL, unfortunately, John Ross officially on the trade market. I look at this situation and it sucks because John Ross was somebody with an injury history coming out of college. I believe that might even date back to high school, but he ran a sub four three forty. He ran the best 40 yard dash in NFL combine history, and he became a top 10 pick and just never really caught on in these two years in Cincinnati. Now, I'm a little surprised they're willing to or want to trade him right now because I'm going to keep it real with you, Matt. I don't think he's bringing back anything more than a fifth or maybe a fourth if they're really lucky. I think it's a fifth round return. I think that's very fair, man. And he we've seen this too often, unfortunately, you know, guys who Corey Coleman was one drafted because of speed, but you're a small receiver. You have trouble getting open. John Ross had 21 catches and in two years, they're ready to move on from him. He's 24 years old. They're ready to go. And this is just bad drafting. And, and I don't mean to sit on a high horse and say that I'm, you know, I, I get a lot of things wrong. This was just bad drafting. John Ross was fine as a prospect, but at nine overall, he should have never been drafted there. No. Just based on who he was in college, he was a guy who was also hurt. I had him ranked 
uh, top of the second round. So it was a big reach by Cincinnati. And it was a pick that we widely laughed at. Like he wasn't even a fit for what Andy Dalton did as a receiver. I, I think the return would be low. The difference between he and Corey Coleman, I think, is there has not been anything reportedly bad about the character side of things. So that might help where a team like in New England or like the Rams could come in and say, yeah, you know, we'll take a shot on a guy who has rare speed. Maybe we can be the the club that helps him figure it out. Because I will say the Bengals are not like the, the top of the NFL pyramid in terms of player development. So a fresh start could really help him. Yeah, he needs a fresh start. I'm very curious to see who would make that call and who can really fit him into their offense. I mean, man, you look at Pat Denver Mahomes makes at quarterback. Sense. Yeah, Denver does. I think Joe Flacco could use a vertical target there, assuming that he's going to be the guy going forward, even if they draft Drew Locke in the future, another guy that could throw the ball vertically down the field. So teams will definitely call on John Ross, hopefully you know, get some special yeah. teams value out of him. I think that's where you can call and say, Hey, you know, we're willing to offer up a fifth. Maybe it becomes a fourth based on snaps or production. But overall, just that's a really, really quick fail rate as a top 10 draft pick in just two years. And a lot of it has to do with injury history. All right. Another polarizing guy that I'm very excited about in this year's draft. I'm sure everyone else is Kyler Murray up to 206 pounds, but probably unlikely to run. The biggest thing for me here, Matt, is is he going to throw? So. I thought no. And then on Tuesday, I'm doing the Rich Eisen show. And as you know, Rich Eisen is the host of the NFL Combine coverage for NFL Network. And we're just talking about it. And he goes, why don't you think he's going to throw? And I was like, well, just that's kind of the rumor. And he was like, well, let me tell you, everyone at NFL Network would be very surprised if he doesn't throw on Saturday. And I'm like. Rich, you're breaking news on your own show. And we're just having a conversation, (laughs) dude. Like, I'm like, tweeting while trying to do radio it sounds like he might throw and i love this i it's want awesome. him to throw i want him to go out there and be like you know what here we go fuck it let me show you what i got because i know Melo says this all the time it's hard as a quarterback to hurt your stock at the combine unless you just do very bad in interviews or drills but if you come out and try and just show technique we're not even most of the time watching to see where the ball lands when you throw it, dude, because you're not comfortable and familiar with those receivers. But what we want to see footwork, arm angle, release points, velocity. And those are the areas where I think that he can be really, really impressive. Do you think Dwayne Haskins decision to throw impacted Murray's? It could. I know that that happens. I mean, you know, you've been doing the show with me for, for almost two years and there are times where, I mean, I, there were, I was talking to a couple of quarterbacks last year, and they were like playing off each other of like, oh, Josh Allen's going to go to the senior bowl? Okay, Baker Mayfield is too. Like, they were so competitive that I do think you're talking about like the guys who are so like alpha dog mentality. Yeah, I, I think it does play into it where you want to be the guy. Like, you want to, okay, if he's going to do it, we're going to do it and and really try to show up. I absolutely love it. I think when that's what you want to go out and prove to teams. And I think Haskins has zero fear of that. And and I think Murray might be a guy that says, you know what? Neither do I. And these guys have the lively arms. These two drew lock. I mean, maybe the closest guy after that is Stidham. Like they're going to look different than everyone else. That's the kind of arms that they have. So if I was him, if I was advising him, I'd say, listen, man, if you step on that scale over 200 pounds and you come out and rip the football, 
you're going to show everyone why you're a top five pick and you're a quarterback, not a baseball player anymore. You don't need to run. I know Kyler Murray is fast. I don't need to see him do the 40-yard dash. I think he's actually playing this really right, and he goes out and throws the ball well if he does throw. That would kind of be the icing on the cake here. And speaking of us doing the show for almost two years together, this is our 99th Wednesday show together, Matt. Oh, my God. That's crazy, right? 99. Feel old. Yeah, it's insane. So, (laughs) obviously, with the combine, we get excited to watch a lot of the guys' tests that were working on getting healthy or just surprising or working on playing football for Kyler Murray. But some injuries, of course, Jawan Taylor, Josh Jacobs. What's the latest around these guys that are are locks, what it seems like for the first round? Yeah, they do seem like locks. I I completely agree with that, man. But injuries have popped up. Jawan Taylor's a hamstring tweak. No combine for him. Austin Bryant had a pec injury. No combine for him. Jalen Hurd, the Baylor receiver, will do the bench press, but he had a a minor knee scope recently, so he won't run. Uh, His plan is to do everything at his pro day. Um, it, it, and just Josh Jacobs tweaks a groin. He's not going to be able to do much. So it is, it's a little disappointing, but it's expected. It's kind of like the senior bowl where we see the rosters a week before the game. And we're all like, holy shit, like this looks amazing. And then Josh Allen drops out, you know, and, and then you just expect these things to happen. So I'm still excited for the groups that we are going to see, but these injuries are things worth noting, especially you know, like Connor said, we have a suite here. We're going to be, I'm going to be following the workouts until you guys get here. It's important for me to note those things of like, okay, uh, you know, this guy won't be there. So we need to pay attention and, you know, be prepared to skip them in the workouts instead of like flipping through the notebook of like, wait, what, what happened to Josh Jacobs? You just need to stay on top of who is and isn't going to be there basically. Yeah. And I texted some people about that. Just wondering if they were disappointed and not seeing him run. And they were like, honestly, he's smart. They were like, he's his, the 40 isn't his best trait. They're like, just go out there. You already know he's probably the top back in this class for many, and he'll do some limited working out, whatever that may be. But he goes in, interviews, gets on the scale. He's probably going to be like 5'9", 220 of muscle. So I mean, we know Josh Jacobs is probably a four five five guy. There's really not that need to go out and prove it. The one thing, the one guy I'm kind of disappointed about that it won't get to test because of injury is Jalen Hurd. Just because his transition to wide receiver went a lot better than I expected. I thought he looked really, really athletic at Baylor. So not seeing him at the combine, is this one of those situations where it's a missed opportunity, Matt, or do you think he's saving his best for his pro day at Baylor? I I think it's a little of both, just to be completely honest. Like I, I do feel like it's a missed opportunity, but at the same time, you don't want to come out here and not perform well. So it, it does make some sense of, okay, well, here we have this guy who... Like we really, really like his his potential and his athleticism, but not being able to to compete is going to be a hard thing. And I, I do think for Jalen Hurd specifically, I wanted to see him run as well. But to me, it's so important for him that he nailed the medical or excuse me, the interview. This is a guy who left. Oh, I just said it. Damn it. This is a guy. Well, someone drink if you're playing the drinking game. It was bound to happen. Yeah. He is someone who left Tennessee uh, because of not getting along with the coaches, disciplinary stuff. And allowed Alvin Kamara to shine and become the Alvin Kamara. So I think that that that's where he really needs to come out and impress folks is okay with the interview process. Why, what happened at Tennessee and he left Tennessee and then became a wide receiver. So I I do like that. He took to some coaching there and said like, Hey, this is, I want to play in the NFL. What do I have to do to get there? Made the position change. So he will be someone that I think interviews are going to be really, really important for. 
All right, last bit of notes here from around the league. The Browns re-signed Greg Robinson. Does this mean that uh, not only has he really saved his career or they have a left tackle of the future or just a tackle in general, but Matt, do you think this has any trickle effect on their early draft strategy? I, I think it does, and and I had some conversations with some of our really awesome followers on Twitter about this that I do think it means that they're not going tackle at 17, and, and I know some Browns uh, – beat writers and and you know the fans who are really plugged in will tell you they probably never were but this to me says that hey they they plan on going somewhere else whether that's corner or it, linebacker or another interior pass rusher whatever it might be they're going to go in a different direction so i'm excited to see what that means for them but it, this is what a cool story too like the fact that you have greg robinson who looked like a bust and no one wanted him. And then he goes to Cleveland with the, it, it puts in work, by the way, he went and, and worked out over the summer, got improved some of his technique, improved some of his conditioning. And now he's a player getting a one-year contract. I think it's worth about $7 million. So it's just like a cool story for him to, to, you know, now be in this spot where so many people wrote him off. And, and he was almost like one of those guys you kind of made, you know, people would make fun of as like number two pick and he's not panned out, but look at him now. Dude's getting paid. It's kind of funny how things work out, too. A couple of years ago, we would have laughed at Cleveland being a place where you can remake your career. Oh, it never happened. Now I would now I would argue that Cleveland is one of the places because of the atmosphere they have built there, whether it is from Baker Mayfield, obviously Freddie Kitchens, but I think Todd Munkin is the perfect guy for that offensive locker room, those offensive meetings to get the most out of these guys, whether it's a former failed pick like Greg Robinson trying to rebuild his career or some of those skilled guys. I think it's one of the things to watch as the Browns hope to win that division. A lot of folks asked for it, so let's do it. We're going to fix the Miami Dolphins, a really intriguing team, and we have spent some time uh, over the last month talking about what should they do with Ryan Tannehill. I think we both agree quarterback is the biggest need for this team. It has come out within the past few days. There's some consideration that they might wait until next year, try to do the bridge quarterback thing uh, this year, and then go draft a Jake Fromm or a Tua or Jacob Beeson in 2020. But I want to start, Connor, with their team needs. Quarterback, a, a true running back, a bell cow. Defensive end, they got to get younger there. Corner, defensive tackle, an area I think they got to get younger. And then offensive tackle as well with Juwan James being a free agent. And that's another big point. Free agency for them, Cameron Wake free agent William Hayes free agent this is a team right now too that they only have eight million dollars in cap space what happens with Robert Quinn they could save 13 million by cutting him they could also save 13 million by cutting Ryan Tannehill but they have big needs not a lot of money and only seven draft picks so where do you start at Connor as far as rebuilding this team man uh light the dynamite hit the detonation button blow this thing <laughs> the fuck up i mean it's as simple as that for me i'm going in tank mode in 2019 i've heard rumors that that's what they plan to do they feel comfortable doing that there we'll see uh maybe that changes if a quarterback falls into their lap this year but i don't expect that if i'm miami i'm sitting here i'm going okay let's get these veterans off the salary books let's not go wild in this free agent market. Maybe you sign a couple of players that are younger to be a part of the long-term core, but you're really sitting here probably in this three-year window. You really need to reset. So I would take a BPA approach. I think another guy that gets cut and it's been, you know, reported going around that he probably will is Josh Sitton, a good player, but just injured and, and getting into, he's been on the wrong side of 30 for a couple of years now. So they got to really find a way, Matt, to establish this offensive line 
for when they do go all in on a quarterback to make sure that he's playing behind a really good unit. And I think when you look at this unit, Juwan James is interesting to me. Instead of going out and spending money in the external market, I would find a way to get him signed. I think he's a solid pass protecting, you know, offensive tackle. I think they have two tackles there with him that can really be a part of your long-term future for the age they're at. And I don't want to get into the draft strategy just yet, but that'll play into this as well to build up that interior. If I'm the Dolphins, my key takeaway is here. You have a really good, you have some pieces on the defensive side of the ball. You obviously have to add some pass rushers, but taking Minka last year was a dynamite kind of pick. I think you build the offensive core right now. So when you do get your quarterback in there, he it's just you you hit the you floor it. You hit the gas and you go. You don't need to do this. Okay, now we build around him kind of situation. So Miami, I don't think this is the year to try to retool. You're starting there with a first-year head coach. You have time. Do not panic. Yeah, I wouldn't panic. And one guy we should also mention, Devontae Parker, could be on the trade block. So they could recoup some some picks if he's moved to former first-round pick. I look at this club as being unique in that there are some building blocks. Like there are, I like Laramie Tunsil. I like Kenny Stills. Of course, uh, yeah. I, I really like Mika. Kenyon Drake. And Xavier Howard was a second round pick. Jerome Baker, Raquan, Raquan McMillan. They got a couple of Ohio State boys there, a linebacker. They have some talent here, but they also need guys like Charles Harris, who was a first round pick in 2017, to step up. And so when I when I look at it, I'm actually on board with you completely that this is a I think if you're, you know, if you're Brian Flores and you walked in and you interviewed here and, and they have a new GM and Chris Greer who was promoted internally when Mike Tannenbaum was fired, those guys have to look at this and say, there's no way we're going to be competitive next year. There's probably no way we're going to be competitive in 2021. So let's take this slowly and, and build it up, like you said, the right way, not overspending, not panicking, but instead going to a best player available. Where they're at in the draft at pick 13 is a tough spot, especially if you want a quarterback. You might be in that situation reaching for someone like Daniel Jones, who Mello has compared to Ryan Tannehill. So don't don't get too excited about that if you're a, uh, a fan of, of the, the Dolphins draft and a quarterback. But let's kick it to their draft plan because, like you said, you can sit out on the quarterback market this year, wait for a guy, tank in 2019, follow your Jets plan, and then hopefully get your version of Sam Darnold next year. So with pick number 13, Connor, I think we'll probably go in different directions, but I'm excited to hear what you would do. Yeah, so like I said, I really want to play the internal market here. Xavier Howard has been fantastic when healthy. So I think you lock up guys like him in a year or so. So don't go crazy on the cap. Let's get to the draft. I did a fan speak mock for their first four round picks here. I would ideally love to get out of the first rounder and stockpile so you have ammo to move up the following year, but that simply just doesn't always happen. I can't sit here and tell you that somebody will want to come up for Daniel Jones or if Drew Locke falls, somebody will want to come up for him. I went with Cody Ford because here's my three reasons, Matt. Number one, he's a damn good football player that can be a core piece of your offensive line for the future, going back to my original point about putting that foundation in place for a young signal caller. Number two, he can play right tackle if you lose Jawan James. But number three, if you can keep Jawan James with that cap space you will have, he can be a ass-kicking right guard. So, uh, listen, Brian Flores is coming in there thinking, probably learning a little bit from what New England did by being a power-run kind of football team that plays pretty good defense when they need to. 
Chris Greer is a really well-respected scouting mind in the NFL. I think Cody Ford is probably going to finish as a top 15, top 20 player for me. So taking him at the back end of the top 15 is not a reach in my eyes. I like that first round pick. I I went a little bit different than you. I went to that defensive line because I do look at Brian Flores and say, okay, if you can do one thing, if you can maybe win one area right now, can you win defensively? Because that's where you have some of your studs with Howard, Minka, two good rangy linebackers, but you're going to have to rebuild this D-line. So I'm at Christian Wilkins here, D-tackle from Clemson. Not probably going to wow you as a player. Like, what's his elite trait? But his character's off the charts. His work ethic is off the charts good. And I do believe that he is a first-round caliber talent in this class, probably even a top-20 type talent once we get through you know, the next month of evaluation. I have him at number 19 right now. So assuming there's a run on edge players, I would go to the strength of this draft and to an area that we feel like, okay, Brian Flores could come in. This dude can be his guy. I compared him to Grady Jarrett. So that's the, the type of starter that I think you're getting here. And notice a trend between our picks, Matt. We took safe players that play in the trenches because yeah. that's the strategy they should follow here. I mean, build up either the offensive or defensive line right now with high floor caliber kind of players. Now, Cody Ford also is a high ceiling guy with his athleticism, but at the end of the day, I just I can't see that being a failed pick. So looking at round number two, Matt alluded to it in the beginning of the show. Yes, they have Kenyon Drake, but maybe go get a workhorse kind of runner to pair with him. Frank Gore is not going to be in the NFL forever, although it seems that way. I took David Montgomery in the second round, and I think this is his range, Matt. This is where his range starts, middle of the second round to top of the third round. He's not going to wow anyone on the track, but this guy has incredible contact balance, an alpha male kind of running style. I think he can you know, do everything. He's good in pass protection. He can catch the football. I would love to see this pick happen just for the fact that now with Ford up front, and maybe you have those two tackles sign and Montgomery in the backfield. You're starting to build a, a punch you in the face kind of identity. I don't know if I saw your list or if we just spent too much time together, but I went the exact we spent a lot same of time area. Together. And my yep. whole point was no matter who's quarterback, if you know you can turn around and hand the ball off to David Montgomery, that helps. But also he is, I think, the best receiving back in this class. So you have him as a dump off guy. You have him just as a playmaker. So I love David Montgomery there. 48 for some people, that might be too rich for a back that's probably going to run in the 4-6 range, but I I really like him. Now, round three, pick 79 overall, I went to the offensive line because, like we said, whatever happens with Josh Sitton, he's not expected to be back. Uh, They have room on the interior to upgrade. And so I went with Chris Lindstrom from Boston College with the note that depending on what they plan to do offensively with Chad O'Shea's scheme, if it's a zone scheme, Chris Lindstrom is going to be very good at guard. If it's not, I would actually move him inside to center where his, some of his strength deficiencies are going to be covered up a little bit. But he's a very good athlete, great at getting to the second level. So I would look at him as a future building block, whether that's next to Laramie Tunsil or in the middle anchoring this line. Yeah, so you went defense round one. I looked for an offensive line piece, kind of flipped the script here now. I got Lonnie Johnson in the third round. This was a little bit of a... BPA kind of approach for me, some insurance at corner. Xavier Howard wants to get paid as the best corner in football. The Dolphins are going to have a very interesting decision to make when that time comes, whether you keep him or not. Keep adding pieces in the secondary. You have Minka, who almost plays as this big nick and big nickel kind of safety. 
And you look at Lonnie, who's like a true six three kind of corner that can hopefully be, you know, really excel in maybe a press scheme or hopefully learn to also play off just a versatile kind of guy with his length. So stacking talent here. I just saw, listen, the Dolphins need help almost across the defense, and Lonnie Johnson was the best pick in this spot. I like him. I like his length, Um, and and we'll see how well he runs. If he shows good speed, you know, he's a former receiver. He's talked about, hey, I would move to safety if I need to, so I would like to see a a piece piece. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Round four, pick 117. I'm going edge here. Ben Bonagoo from TCU. A little bit forgotten about because of the rise yeah. of his teammate, LJ Collier, who's a really, really good player. But I like Bonagoo, uh, like his length, 6'3 and a half, 247. Uh, he was a guy was a two-star recruit, has moved around a little bit, but he has length, he uses his hands very well. He can dip, he can bend, he can turn the corner. I think he'll be better in the NFL than he was in college because I've seen his tools and his athleticism. We saw him in person against Iowa State. If he could just put things together a little bit, I think he could be a dynamic player on the edge. He's he's body ready. He just needs coached up a little bit. Yeah, and going by your mock draft, if you have Wilkins and Banigou up front, just talk about a team getting a little tougher up front. I think that's what Brian Flores wants to do. My last pick, fourth round here, Isaac Nada. This was your guy. I know you guys I had love a great it. interview with him. This might actually be a little late for him. I don't know if he makes it to the fourth round. I think he's just, you know underrated athlete. I think he blocked pretty well and that Georgia offense, there was a lot of mouths to feed there, Matt. I mean, we've watched McCall Hardman, Riley Ridley, Elijah Holyfield. They've had pieces over the years to get that ball to, and it almost made Nada kind of the forgotten man. I never liked the Mike Gusecki pick. Whether that pans out in the long-term future remains to be seen, but Brian Flores going there, would it really shock you? And I'm not, I know he's not an offensive guy, but it really shock you if this is a team that wants to utilize power run game and two tight end sets. And I think that's where he can really fit in here. Uh, yeah, I think so too, man. And the fact that, like you said, well, Brian Flores might not be an offensive guy, but as the head coach, he's going to set the philosophy for this team. You know, are we going to be a power run team that invests in the defense? Or are we going to be an aired out team that's going to invest more in the secondary? Cause we're going to be, you know, in high scoring games. Those are the decisions he'll make. So I, I like Isaac Nata there a lot, man. If he's, if he's available in round four, uh, you would catch me trying to trade up to get him. I got Mello joining me to talk to a Big 12 back because uh, we're going to have to break some news to our guy Justice Hill right now that we are Texas fans, man. So if you want to hang up and not do this interview, I understand. But we yeah, will keep calling. <laughs> we appreciate your time, dude. Uh, it's great to have somebody who we're actually in Joplin, Missouri, recording this podcast. You went to high school not too far from here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the first thing I want yeah. to ask you at the same time in Tulsa, you and Josh Jacobs, both in that town, the same class. What is that right. like when you know that like one, two of the best running backs in the 2019 draft were in the same damn town at the same time? <laughs> Man, it's really crazy to believe because uh, we used to play together in uh, Little League and we played against each other in championships in middle school and then we played through high school. And to know that from a young age, you know, we we always excelled and we always did good to to see that we're on this level now, getting ready to be on where we we've always dreamed about is really crazy to believe. I mean, it's really it's pretty ridiculous that they ever let the yeah. two of you be on the same team. That just does not seem fair. Like right. Tulsa, Tulsa's oh, man, pretty it was, big. It it's not crazy. that big. It was crazy. We didn't lose the game for four years. It was crazy. Now you talk about Josh Jacobs, but your brother was pretty good too. Did he get to play on any right. of those teams? They play him up. No, Dax, he, 
actually didn't even start playing football until like fifth grade. And so uh, now he, we played together one year. Me and my brother, uh, high school, I was a senior. He was a freshman. We started at safety. And I mean, it was fun. We had some good practices and uh, we got after it. But yeah, that's the only time we played together. But yeah, yeah and for the people. Small, that- I mean, for the people that don't know, your brother Dax Hill is the number one safety in the nation right now. Uh, it sounds like he's going to Michigan. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He signed to Michigan back in December, so yeah. he's just waiting on the data to get shipped out. How, how do you let Oklahoma State miss out on your own brother and send him up to Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tried my, my best, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a decision. He made the best decision for him, so I'm proud of him. Now, how much does Mike Gundy's mullet help you out at Oklahoma State? Because, like I said, we're Texas fans. That's a it's a rivalry. It's not like a a bitter rivalry. We like it when y'all beat Oklahoma. But Mike Gundy's uh, mullet is one of the coolest things in college football. What is that oh, thing like sure. in person? Uh, I just, I mean, I mean, since I've seen it my entire my entire college career, you know, I don't even think about it now. But uh, I mean, it's crazy. When I first when I first found out about it when I was in high school. Uh, that he was going to mullet out, it was, it was crazy seeing it like on ESPN and all that stuff. But it's it's crazy. He keeps it well groomed. He trims it every now and then. Uh, I mean, he keeps a good look on it. Now we t- we talked about his mullet, but what is it like playing for a guy like him? He seems so fiery and and energetic. And as a Texas fan, I don't really like him because he does seem like such a great coach and recruiter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a he's a cool coach. He's straight. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter to me who the coaches are. I'm, I'm always going to play my game. I love playing the game. Uh, but it was a cool experience playing with Coach Gundy. Yeah, what was his reaction when you – do you, like, walk in his office and be like, hey, Coach, I'm going to declare early, go to the NFL. Yeah. What was his reaction like? I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't the best reaction, but uh... – <laughs> yeah, I mean, you probably don't want to lose like an all Big Twelve running backs if you're a coach. So yeah, yeah I totally get that one. Uh, I mean, if you want to tell us after you're drafted, you come back on and you can tell that story. You don't have to worry about it hurting your draft stock or anything. That's that's cool. Uh, I, right. I, I, we'll go a different direction here. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned your brother, who is a, a five star safety prospect. You one of the best running backs in the country. What are your mom and dad like? How athletic are mom and pop? Are is that where you guys get this <laughs> from? <laughs> Uh, I mean, we play around with them. Say we we just got it from ourselves, got it from God ourselves. But yeah, my parents, you know, they my mom, she was at the my dad, he just he claims she was athletic, but you know, it's never no film from back in the day. But uh, yeah, we we blessed to just have great parents and uh, blessed to be in a situation where they don't really have to stress about anything in college and moving forward. So uh, I mean, it, it it was a great life, and I just appreciate everything they did for us. Yeah, and you come from a great family. You played at the Big 12. Does it kind of piss you off how everybody talks bad about the Big 12 defense? Like, oh, Big 12 defense is not shit. Yeah, it, yeah, it really does because the Big 12 defenses really aren't bad. It's, be, it's just that the offenses are just so good that, like, even when we play top, like, whenever Big 12 schools play top defenses, like last year we played Virginia Tech, it was, it was like the number four defense. Uh, last year, OU played Georgia, who had the number one defense. They still put up 55 points. We put up, like, 35 points. And I really believe it's just the offense is so good, and we we have so many so many plays in the game that it really can't stop it. And so uh, it's not that the defenses are bad, because whenever we go out of conference, we all play good. And so, uh, yeah, that's my opinion on it. And we, we've been, some we've been asking a lot of prospects lately, and I got to know what your answer is. 
What is your go-to shit talk when if, if you put up 189 yards at Kansas, which every yeah. is Kansas, right? Is what you got to do. What is what are you right. saying to those poor defenders when you've put up a buck 89 on them? Oh man, it's crazy because everybody talk. Everybody is it's so crazy. Everybody talking, but like for me, and especially in the Big Twelve, we can't really talk that much because the offense moves so fast. So as soon as we get tackled, we got to get up and go right back. But whenever they talk, I just point to the scoreboard. They see the stat sheet under at the bottom of the screen. So they see it. You just can point and got to keep moving with it. Who's the biggest shit talker that you had to face? Like somebody else on defense that just wouldn't quit running their mouth uh, and you had to point out the scoreboard a lot? Uh, actually, I would uh, – let's see, let's see. Nobody really talked like that. It was crazy. But uh, I, I guess, would say probably last year. Last year, I think – what's the name? Uh, number nine from uh, OU. Uh, Murray, the yeah, lineman, Murray. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was talking the whole game. I was like, man, I had I got two thirty right now. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I got two thirty. I got to chill out, bro. Yeah. Y'all ain't doing that. It's offense, keep y'all in. But yeah, other than that, like nobody really talked like that. It's crazy. Well, like you said, against your offense, you guys are so fast paced. I'm, I'm sure these dudes are out mm-hmm. of breath and they don't really get the chance to talk oh, yeah, to they, you. Yeah, they too tired for that. Looking forward to the combine, uh, which is coming up this week. We're expecting. Great things from you looking at how athletic your oh, yeah, game film sure. looks. What What's sure. your event you're looking forward to the most? And are you planning to do every event once you get there? Yeah, I'm definitely planning to do every event because, I mean, I just want to show everything I can. But for me, I'm just, man, it's crazy because I'm really looking forward to every single, every single part of it. Uh, I'm ready for the 40, obviously, just so I, people think I'm, I don't know, people just think I'm not fast. Well, they think I'm quick, but I'm not fast. But... I will show there, and then uh, I'm looking forward to bench because I'm actually like really strong. Well, I'm not gonna say really strong, but uh, I'm decently strong, and so I, I have good numbers there. And then, uh, what else? Vertical. I'm pretty explosive, so uh, I'm looking for some high numbers on that. So it, overall, I mean, combines those are things I'm really good at, like going back to high school even. And so I'm just looking forward to those. I'm looking forward to everything, but the, the bench, vert, and uh, the forty, whatever I'm looking forward to. All right, well, you set me up nicely here. I know I can't take you in the 40, but you've probably never mm-hmm. seen me before. Who do you think can do more reps on the bench, me or you? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm gonna say me, man. I got I to gotta say me. All right, how many, how many reps are you putting up? Uh, I, I'm going to keep that disclosed right now. I'm gonna, <laughs> I just got to let people know when, it, when the time comes. Okay, well, I'm going to keep my numbers to myself then, too. <laughs> and after I see your numbers, I might have to tweet at you yeah. and let you know. All right. Let me, let me hear you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, like you said, I think a lot of people see you. They they see a guy who's uh, you know, what five ten one ninety ish, and they think okay, well, they, they they got that wrong too. But we go, they, everybody find out. That, wait, you uh, are you bigger than that? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was one ninety like my freshman year, uh, freshman year of college. But I yeah. mean, I never really like. I, they had me listed like one seventy my freshman year. I came in like I came in the college at one eighty five like that. First, completely derailed my question because that's what I was going to ask. Like yeah. everybody sees this. If you're you know bigger than that, that actually helps you because I think sometimes yeah, guys sure. under 200 pounds get knocked for not being big enough and, and there's durability yeah. questions. So uh, that was my next question. Mello, you're up. <laughs> yeah, man. I, 
I don't know. Uh, I do have to ask you about this because you went to Oklahoma State and they've had some really good running backs there in the past. They had Thurman Thomas, oh, yeah. Barry Sanders. Did that play into your recruiting at all? Uh, uh, definitely so. Just because I know it's a great, great program, and just being from Oklahoma and being an Oklahoma State fan my entire life, that really kind of factored in. But like once I got there, I knew I'm playing running back, and I knew the tradition of playing running back. And I knew I wanted to be in conversation, be in the conversation whenever. People bring up Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas. I want to be be in that conversation too, and so that definitely influenced my decision to go in there. And uh, you know, looking back at, I really made a great decision. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier you put up almost two thirty on Oklahoma um, this past year, not quite as successful. But what played into the, right. going to Oklahoma State over Oklahoma because they seem to be this unstoppable juggernaut yeah. in this area. So was yeah. it just like, oh, I'm an Oklahoma State fan, something as simple as that? Yeah. Yeah, I've always been an Oklahoma State fan. It was never like, – I mean, I could have every offer in the country. I was probably going to go to Oklahoma State no matter what. And so, uh, yeah, it didn't – like for me, them being a dominant team, it doesn't really matter. Like, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to go and play for the school that I wanted to play for. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. I know here at Stick to Football, we are definitely rooting for you. And even though we're Texas fans, I got to tell you, man, I loved your game, love watching you play. Can't wait to see what you do at the yeah. Combine uh, in the coming right, weeks. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right, man. Thanks for so much for your time, and, and we're definitely looking forward to seeing you tear it up. And I, now I want to know how much he weighs. It's, it's driving me crazy. Oh, yeah, we'll find out. And I, I want to give a shout-out to um, Practice Sports out here in uh, California. They've been – I mean, it's been ridiculous. We've been out here training nonstop, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And him get to the combine, and I also want to give a shout out to Zinni Optical. I know y'all y'all podcasted on here. <laughs> oh yeah, and, you know, uh, just making sure my eyes are straight because you know we're on our phones all the time, on the computer all the time, and uh, they do a great job. They have great product. Their glasses are great and protect me from blue light. And so I just want to give a shout out to those people, and also a shout out to my family back home. Man, we're gonna have to have you start doing all no, our ad reads. Yeah, you want to stop by. <laughs> Man, you want to stop by the Sweet and Indy and rip off some ads for us. You know, maybe we just need to get like a. Oh, please, Louie. We got to get some sweets going. Yeah, we need to be like, you know, hey, this is Justice Hill listening to Six Football. Boom. There we, that's a, you know, <laughs> get you on Instagram. All right, man. Dude, we appreciate it. Everybody go go check out my man. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Justice Hill for hanging out with Mello and I. Connor, it, it seems, man, it sucked. We can't get you on all the interviews because guys are available at like nine o'clock on a Past Sunday my night. bedtime on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got to tuck you in, man. But I think post-combine, things will loosen up a little bit. We'll be able to get the whole crew back on some interviews. It's going to be fun. But let's get into the questions that you can answer. Draft on draft, man. There's a lot of good ones. I see some some familiar names in the rundown this week. What a name for the first one. Gage? Nerzwicky and Matt definitely did not want to read that. No, because I, I left talking. Was like, this is when Connor steps in and read Gage. What a hell of a name! Also, have a quick draft on draft question for you guys. Was listening to the Propet show this morning and was wondering what you guys think Chauncey Gardner Johnson will run for his forty. People at Florida were saying he could maybe touch four three five, but I think from watching game film, he's a high four four or low four five. What do you think? No way he's touching four three five. If he touches four three five, I'll be shocked. Uh, yeah, he's. That, I'll, I'll go so with four four five. I mean, that's fast. Like for a safety, that's still really fast. I just four three five is like that's the Andy Isabella, McCall Hardman, Kendall right. Kendall Sheffield range, and 
And he's not that. And Chauncey Gardner is a player that I think has good instincts. He showed so much in coverage this year and actually really improved as a tackler, which was a big question for a lot of teams. But I, I don't think he's going to absolutely light up no. the track. I think he's probably a 4-4-5 four, four, guy, yeah. which is good. So, it's really good. All right, our buddy, listener of the year, Ant the Oreo. How do draft day trades usually work? Do teams have informal agreements for trading if certain scenarios happen? Example, the Raiders agree to trade with the Giants at four if Haskins is available. Or are most of them spontaneous calls to the other team's GM? It's a great question. I I don't think, Ant, that there's one set rule. Like I think it could be both. I think you have parameters sometimes in place of, Hey, if this happens or if our guy's available, what, you know, what would you be looking for to move to our spot? Cause some of those conversations can be difficult and you don't want to have them with 10 minutes on the clock. Others. I do think it's spontaneous. Like when Laramie Tunsil started falling down the board, I know of one team that was trying so hard to trade up to get him and they were like calling every team. So they were going down the board like, okay, we'll call you and call you and call you. And then they, they got to the Dolphins. The Dolphins were like, no, we're going to take him. Like, we're going to yeah. put an end to this. Don't worry about it. So I think that it can be spontaneous, but also there's a lot of times where, yeah, I mean, you're not going to come out like if, you know, if the uh, hell, if the, the Redskins want Dwayne Haskins, they're not going to go ahead and call Tampa and say, hey, if Haskins is there at five, what would it take? But they will say, hey, we might be interested in coming up. What would you guys be looking for? And that already starts right now. That's what's crazy with all this. You start yeah, really like today, you know, during combine week. Yeah, you lay out the groundwork, find out who's interested in moving up, moving down. So and one thing that's really interesting with draft day trades, Matt, is how teams navigate and also know where they can't call. Like, do you think the Jets are ever going to call New England to move up or down? That's just not going to happen. Like, do, you know what I mean? There's certain teams where they simply won't do business. And you kind of know that beforehand where it changes your strategy there. So a really interesting dynamic to the draft day trades and with the clock running, especially on day two and three, where it's five minutes running so fast, a lot of times you would like to have things laid out, but on those day two and three, you can't, there's just only so much you could have it in advance because of how many different ways the board can fall. Right. So exactly. It's tricky. Coach steers, Sent me a pretty long question. I condensed it for you, buddy. Why is height considered an (laughs) issue with defensive tackles? Low man wins in the trenches. So it's not. It's not height. It's length. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's like short. Being short does not mean, like, it's not a knock. Like, Ed Oliver, for instance, is going to come in at six feet tall and a half inch. But how long is his arms? Right. That's what people want to know, like Matt said. So with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald had almost 33-inch arms, which for someone who was his height, that's that's pretty good. Like that you would take Without that. A doubt. So um I, I think that's why so it's not about oh, this guy's six two. Because I agree, like in some ways you do want someone who's gonna be able to get low. But I also know of, you know, <laughs> excuse me, if you're playing a five tech, you want somebody who has the link to get a player off you, but also you know, has the ability to knock down balls like a J.J. Watt. You know, he's so great at that batting down balls, line scrimmage. So arm length can be pretty important for just weird things that you wouldn't think of. Yeah, and the same could be said for offensive linemen. I mean, that's the biggest knock on on tackles specifically. If you're a short-armed kind of player, it's going to be one of the things teams note right away. And I think that's already begun with Jonah Williams. Teams just feel that he doesn't have the desirable length to play left tackle 
but he has the film to play left tackle. So it creates a very interesting debate over what he's proven versus projecting to the next level. Yeah, no, I... It, it, that's a great question because it, it's just one of those things that if you don't live in this world, you might not always, you know, have a, an awareness of it. Uh, Harry Gascone, do certain injuries at certain positions scare you? For example, Jonathan Abram shoulder injury. So, yeah, I mean, they absolutely do. If you're a tackler and you've had a shoulder injury, that's more of a concern than, you know, if you're a, a, a non-hitting position. I think for skill players, I really worry about soft tissue because it could be repeating and I worry about like feet and ankles like and and that's just my personal bias from you know eight years of studying this I I'm sure that there are trainers that have a a much more scientific feel for those things no without a doubt I think this goes back to our John Ross conversation from earlier it's it's fascinating because he's a guy that in high school I believe not in high school in college had multiple meniscus injuries and an ACL injury and then teams go, you know, damn, that's that's pretty bad. How is that going to affect his best asset, which is speed? And then he comes in the NFL combine and runs a 4-2-2. So maybe it alleviated teams' concerns almost too much while he, you know, was dealing with also a labrum tear and then has had some groin injuries in the NFL. So it's interesting. Certain injuries can definitely scare you. I think any knee injury or any lower body injury with any kind of skill player is always going to scare you. I think you know, Matt quickly glossed over a really big one that he said because of the ability for it to come back, that's soft tissue injuries. I think uh, Marshawn Lattimore, that was the only knock on him. Like Marshawn really Lattimore was. for a lot of teams was a top five player, but they just didn't know long term how he would hold up with that soft tissue kind of stuff. So it's a big factor. I mean, certain injuries for certain positions. Abrams is a guy that plays like a heat seeking missile. So I'll be curious to see how often these kind of shoulder nicks come up. Yeah, it, it will be. And and shoulders, I can remember some linebackers that I really liked four or five years ago and being told, like, ah, he's got a shoulder. Like, ah, damn it. Like, that. <laughs> it's not what you want to hear. All right, speaking of damn it, our guy Dam Supa, any thoughts on Carl Granderson out of Wyoming? So Granderson is someone I've actually seen in person because we went to that Wyoming-Iowa game a couple of years ago to watch Josh Allen. He was very impressive on that stage. Like, he, he stood out. From the Wyoming defense, you see some athleticism. He has ideal size. He's 6'5", probably about 250 is what will weigh in at here. Uh, he was a, a Shrine game guy, or excuse me, a senior bowl guy. But I really didn't see him pop off the field there. And I know that there have been some accusations recently against him in terms of off-field stuff. Yes. So um, that is one of the – it's a pending case right now. So we, we kind of have to wait and see what happens. He's he is going to be at the combine, but I, I liked him as like a late round type player. Yeah. So I believe it was a sexual assault he's been charged with, which a third degree sexual assault and sexual battery. So that's that's going to hurt him no matter what throughout this process. I think he was a player that when you look at the build at like six foot five, 260 pounds, you talk about length. This is the kind of guy that you'd like to mold into a serviceable starter, but that's definitely not going to help. An interesting prospect, nonetheless. Yeah. All right, last I'll, one. Oh, one more on ahead, that Matt. real quick. Uh, we've seen this in previous years, like the Gary and Conley thing. It definitely was, you know, a huge part of the 2017 draft. If it's not cleared up by draft day, he won't be drafted. He's not a good enough player. So Lyle, if, remember like, the Lyle like said, Collins thing? Right, exactly. So, like, right now, the fact that, you know, he's been, he's been charged – um, it, with an incident that happened 
after the season ended. So if there's not a charges are dropped or whatever, if there's not clarity, I would predict now he's just not drafted because he's not as good as some of the players we've seen drafted before. And like you said, Connor, Lyle Collins is like the poster child for this, a guy who was just not even charged with something. There were just rumors that he might have known something about a death, and he went undrafted over it. Yeah, it can really uh, obviously plummet you when it's just hanging there. But the last one, Riley Loveless. With no one, I love when people mix in baseball with our show. Me and Matt are (laughs) such suckers for that. I saw this, and I was like, yep, that's the one. With Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, and eventually Bryce Harper getting monster money, do you think that changes Kyler Murray's mind back to baseball this close to the combine slash draft? No, because those guys are rare. Like, it really is. Like, what the chance that you're going to get a $200 million deal in baseball, it, it's rare. We could bring our buddy Adam Heisler on here. Adam played minor league ball. He runs a, a baseball academy in Mobile, Alabama now. And he could tell you how rare it is to to make it from the minors to the majors. And then to be a major league player who has the star power to get one of those contracts. I think Kyler's doing just fine right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I think what's unique about Kyler is that baseball would have actually made an effort to market him because of the kind of athlete he was. But as a player, I mean, he hit 261 in college. I know he had never fully dedicated himself to baseball. But when it comes down to it, the chances of Kyler Murray becoming a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or, I mean, Nolan Arenado is on another planet. Like, I was slim to none, pretty much, just being honest here. I just think that kind of money in the baseball for agent market is currently a gigantic issue. I mean, there's a lot of very talented players that aren't being signed, while the mid-level guys, some of them are getting, like, these non-guaranteed deals that can have them in the minors. So there's a huge problem in baseball free agency. When you do see the reports of these mega deals that are upwards of 200 to $300 million. Yeah, that's great. The percentage of those guys is so minuscule that I think Kyler Murray had the awareness that he will be a much better pro quarterback than pro baseball player. And like, let's point out as well at three o'clock, three forty nine Eastern time on Tuesday, Bryce Harper is making no money from Major League Baseball. He doesn't have a team. He's unemployed. So, like, the Phillies can offer $300 but he doesn't have a job right now. So, um, yeah, I I think that Kyler Murray's doing just fine where he's at. And I'll tell you what, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, a week from now when we're doing our 100th Wednesday episode of all time, if we're sitting there post-combine and going, damn, Kyler Murray is definitely going in the top five. For the people that wondered if he was going to be a first-rounder, I just think he's just, it's a comet right now. His stock, it just seems to be one of the, I don't want to say this is Baker Mayfield all over again, because I don't but think it, might it is, be. but it might be. Imagine, I mean, we could be sitting there on the draft desk on draft night and Arizona might just shock the world. You never know. I'm we'll never see. saying never on that. Do it, Cliff. Do it. No balls. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see it. Uh, That's our show, man. Thanks again to Justice Hill. Mello and I will be back Friday morning getting you caught up on everything that's happened during Combine Week. And then Saturday night, if you're close to Indy, get here. It's going to be a great time. 171 people have signed up to hang out with us at 2D Brewing Company. It it is going to be wild. So check your email. If you've signed up, you'll have some information in there about the event. We're looking forward to seeing you guys. And Connor and I will see you again this week on Instagram Live. We'll be popping on there talk about all things combine and NFL drafts. So thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again Friday morning.